Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Great, wonderful, good news, good news. I want to tell you quickly about something that happened in 1954, as I do. It's really important to know this. But in 1954, just under 12 months before Elvis Presley would become a worldwide singing sensation, issuing his first killer hit, Heartbreak Hotel. You want to give it a go? No? You're fine? Aiden did once play the role of Elvis in the school play. But before he became number one in the charts... He was savagely and routinely rejected by record companies in Los Angeles. And actually the one letter of, that has become famous about his, the rejection by this record company of Elvis Presley is now doing its round on the online world. So if you want to go and read these letters, you can do it. But Henry George put me onto it. But Monarch Records responded, the letter in saying, we have this great new artist will be really popular for the masses. They responded by saying, and I quote, his music stinks and will not sell. Elvis Presley. Let me tell you, Monarch Records' lack of enthusiasm in this regard has been voted as one of the worst judgments made in the music industry of all time. I want to tell you something even more profound. Is that over a year ago, the Springboks were rated eighth in the world. And nobody put money on them. They they are the worst and their music stinks. I'm just quoting someone else. But let me say this, even six weeks ago when we lost to All Blacks, there was only one lone prophet here up front of the church saying that we will win in the final. It's tough to be the lone voice. I know what it feels like to be Elijah with a whole bunch of Jezebels now. But let me tell you, with those small, silly, superficial incidents, 1954 with Elvis and yes, the Monarch Records have their head in their hands and and no cash in their pockets after bad responses, many people who did, did not think the Springboks would make it let alone win the final. I want to say this, but those things are trivial. And looking back, we go, oh, silly moments. Why did we not see that coming? Why did we not respond better? Our purpose in this series called Eternity Matters is we're preaching to us as a people, our own hearts included, saying actually we don't want to get to the end of our lives on the day when we face Jesus Christ and look back and say, if only I had known the significance of the moment I was standing upon. If only I'd known the, 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 the mass, massive moment that that moment was and the way I was responding actually had an effect not just on the here and now but on eternity. Then I'd say we would, would respond differently. So we are as a people are trying to give us a new perspective of eternity. And then in light of that give us new practices to put into place so we can live our lives here and now for the joy set before us and for what will truly matter in eternity. So I want to say to you, eternity matters. So this morning I want to encourage us, there's a man named A.W. Tozer who says this thing, this one line that's, that's haunted me, that's encouraged me, that's rebuked me time and time again. But I want to give you this line, and it's an appeal to our hearts. A.W. Tozer once said this, he said, Church, throw down the white picket fence of Christianity and pick up the danger-encircled path of obedience. That is a call to you, to I today, to throw down a white picket fence response to Jesus and pick up a danger-encircled path called obedience. So we're going to read a scripture, Luke chapter 18. It'll be on the screen behind me, but if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30. It says this, Once a rich young ruler asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. 
The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard this answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? He replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter said, we've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who's given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this moment, this Sunday, the 3rd of November. I thank you right now, Father. Heighten our awareness to the significance of this moment. Right now, God, would we become aware of what you are speaking to us, what you are calling us to. I thank you, God, your word is true. Would you change us by your words? Don't just stir us, but change us. I pray this with every fiber in my being. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Three things from this text. Three things that Jesus calls us to. We're reemphasizing things. We're laboring here to put stuff deep in our hearts. And uh, so three things Jesus calls us to from this text. Number one, again, he calls us to revelation, to revelation. You see, this text starts off by introducing us to a young man. To be specific, he is introduced to us as a rich, young ruler. Now those words just might flow off the tongue. You've been in church, you've heard about a rich, young ruler, but it'll appear on the screen behind me that actually if we understand the full significance of these words, the Greek words of them, that word rich means excessively, abundantly wealthy. This wasn't just some new money rich. This was not some guy who's just come into a new promotion. Now like, whoa, waving the cash around. Look at me, I can, I can pay for dinners now. No, no, this is a guy probably come from old school wealth. A guy who's known privilege. A guy who's known the silver spoon in the mouth. A guy who just drips wealth. He's rich. Next word is young. It's not just meaning that he is young and, and just start to shave. No, no, no. The scripture, the theological tells us he's probably between the ages of 25 and 40. I know 40 is pushing it to use the word young, but let's just be biblical. That's what the Bible says. But a better translation of young was not just about his age, was actually about his vitality around actually his outlook on life, that actually he had his whole life ahead of him, that actually the, the root word there would be healthy and in his prime. This was somebody in his prime who was ready to go and take on the world. And the third one is the word ruler. And the best translation, we, 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 whether it was in a political field or in a religious field, that actually, I want to tell you that the word there is actually translated power. It's understanding that he had authority and deep significance in the community. So actually when he walks onto the scene, everyone will go, wow, that guy's here. He was known. He was a big deal in this community. He was a rich, wealthy, young, healthy ruler who had power. And as I see those three words, for me, the rich, young ruler always was somebody out there. But when I understand those words a little bit closer to home, and I just see those words, wealthy, healthy, and powerful, I start to see my own heartedness. What I mean by that is actually that wealth, health, and significance are the driving mechanisms of every human heart. Wealth, health, and significance are the driving mechanism. Whether you have it or if you don't, they're the driving mechanisms of your heart. They're the driving mechanisms of my heart, if I'm honest. Maybe you don't believe me. Well, here's a little litmus test we can do. What do you do when one of these things is taken away? 
When all of a sudden, the funds that you were relying on don't come through, when the payment does not come through, when the rent is not being able to made, all of a sudden, things are shaken. All of a sudden, your trust and your, your thought life and your emotions are thrown to one side. What do you do when the doctor's report is not favorable, when the doctor's report is not what you thought it would be, when all of a sudden, there's a whole new course your life has to take? What happens when that thing's taken away? What happens when your significance or your sense of power in a community is rocked? When someone speaks bad of you, when people start looking at you different because they find out some truth about you, when actually your social media feed is it doesn't reflect exactly who you are those things happen in our lives wealth health and significance let me be honest the number one number the top three prayer requests in churches worldwide are these three things i need more money pray for my health and i need some purpose and significance in my life because i've been rocked not bad things on their own but when they become the ultimate thing the driver of our heart then that's when we start to fall apart and Jesus is helping doing surgery on our hearts here this morning. And this guy, who is a rich, young ruler, wealthy, healthy, powerful, he comes up and he hears about Jesus. He, Jesus is trending. If it was Twitter, Jesus would be top, Springbok second, Kanye West's new album third. You know, on the trend list at the moment. But Jesus was trending. Jesus was uh, saying controversial things. He was claiming some outrageous claims. He was saying those people in and those people out. And he was turning the whole social order on his head. He was paving a new way to be human. And this rich young ruler, we, he comes to Jesus and, and he wants to align his life with Jesus. And he comes in this moment and the text tells us that the first thing he says, everyone, I can imagine, the room moves, everyone moves out of the way. Oh, that guy's here. The rich young ruler. He comes probably with an entourage. He's like, wait here, guys. And he moves in. Jesus, he says, and he says, he says, good teacher. Now, I want to say, firstly, before we do, we got to do some work here, that actually we need a revelation on this phrase, good teacher, because for time's sake, I want to just make it as clear as possible. Jesus rips away from any of us the option just to call him good teacher. Jesus was a great teacher, but I want to tell you, he did not come to give us a new standard of morals to live up to, and he did not come just to give us a new teaching to potentially apply to life, take it, leave it, see what you want to do with it. It is the most offensive claim you can lay at his feet. Yes, he was a great teacher. He was a rabbi, but he was not just that. Jesus is, is not just a good teacher. He is Lord and King. And we need revelation. If you want to know what the word revelation means, it means actually the things you know in your head to drop down to your heart and explode into life. It's like standing in front of a Coke vending machine and knowing there's a Coke in there. And if I have it, I'm going to be so satisfied. You see it and you know it. Revelation is when you put the coin in, you see the Coke, da, 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 the machine works. I'm just, this is my miming car glass here. I'm in a glass box. Anyway, let's keep going. The Coke drops out and you pick it up and now you've got it in your hand. What you've known has become revelation because now you can experience it. That is what we need, revelation. Not just to, yeah, theory, I know that. But actually, I, I understand, I live it. So revelation is that. We need revelation on this. He is Lord and King. Jesus has the name above every other name. Right now, he has the name above every other name. Every king and kingdom, every power and principality will throw itself down before him. Scripture tells us he rules the, the earth, the nation of the earth, with an iron rod. It tells us that he treads the fury of the winepress of the vengeance of God. And this is the God that we serve that actually has emblazoned on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. There's fire in his eyes. And the scriptures tell us he is jealous for humanity's hearts. That word jealous, let's reappropriate it. Jealous comes with negative connotations. Jealous because I didn't get this or that. When God says, describes his character and he says, I am jealous for you, it's not in a negative. It's in the most forceful, powerful statement because he's saying, I will not share your heart with another. I'm jealous for you. 
He's a jealous lover who wants all of you. And this is the king that we come to. And I want to tell you, he is not content to just be a Sunday pick-me-up. He's not content to just be an add-on or last resort. As the great hymn says, Christ demands my life, my soul, my all. Good teacher is the most offensive thing we can say. Because he is king and Lord, demands a different response. Secondly, he says, good teacher, how do I inherit eternal life? The, minister, the million dollar question. It's at the height and forefront of every religious structure and system. And if you scratch a little bit, it's at the depth of our hearts. It's at the depth of every human's heart of how do I actually, how do I, how should I, how do I attain eternal life? How do I achieve it? How do I inherit it? And I want to tell you that actually briefly, very quickly for time's sakes, that actually this question is at the heart of every major world religion. It's not just a, a Christian claim. This is a, on every single world religion. Islam, and please uh, excuse me if this sounds like a bit of a caricature because they are, for time's sake, so just one-liners. But Islam says basically there's five pillars of faith. Get to the end of your life. And if, the way you've observed those five pillars of faith, if you've done well with them, if you've attempted hard, and at the end of your life you'll meet God and you'll face God holding some scales. And your attempts at fulfilling those five pillars, if those attempts outweigh your bad ones, then you get to go into eternal life. A means of reward. Buddhism says this, find the secret, attain to some higher plane, and then you, if you do that, you'll reach a state of nirvana. And no, not Kurt Cobain's nirvana, Buddha's nirvana. Hinduism says this, that a soul is punished or rewarded based on its past actions, and as a result on the punishment or reward, there's something called karma that will be kicked into effect, and that you'll be reincarnation, you'll come back as a higher level, higher entity, or lower entity, depending on your response here on earth. Secularism says this, the world religion of the day says, define your own truth, live your truth, don't infringe on anyone else's truth. So you make your truth, but actually, as long as your truth doesn't offend my truth, then we are good, and then we'll get somewhere. Most forms of modern-day Christianity says this. You get God if you maintain a certain sexual ethic. If you don't listen to rap music, unless it's the new Kanye West. And if you attend church. If you poll most people who are outside, outside Jesus' frame of living, they'll say something along those lines. This is, well, what does Christianity ask of you? Actually, there's a type of sexual ethic I need to live up to. I need to respond in a different way. And if I, if I attend enough, then God is pleased with me. But Jesus coming at a whole different angle here. And this young guy comes with this, 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 this loaded in his heart, a Jewish framework of actually, how do I get there? And he comes to God, Jesus and says, uh, Jesus says to him, obey the commandments. He plays the game with him. He says, well, why don't you try and do it your way? Try and tell me what your way says. And he says, I've done it all. I've done it all, Jesus. And he, I can imagine the rich and his mates are high five. He says, we backed the right horse here. He says, I've done all these things. I'm nearly at the top. I'm just, I'm just lacking one last step, Jesus. Give me that one last step. Tell me, you're a good teacher. Give me that last little bit of advice. They'll just push me in the, over the edge. And in this moment, as this guy's climbed his ladder, and he's feeling very, very chuffed with himself, and he's in this pursuit of wealth, health, and significance in life, and I was just wanting to add a little bit of the extra to the end. Jesus says, I don't add an extra step. Actually, in that one more conversation, Jesus burns the whole ladder down and ruins this guy's whole paradigm. And as we read on, huge confusion to the disciples. As the whole paradigm shift of how we should turn eternal life comes tumbling down, as Jesus says, you're not only on the wrong ladder, you're on the wrong wall. You're going to get to the wrong place you find it's empty. Because you know, I want to tell you this, Jesus is not just a step to eternal life. Jesus is the only God who makes the claim, I am eternal life. Every other religion says, make your way to God. Christianity is only the religion that says, God came down to you. We need to have revelation of this, revelation and see it and respond differently. Second one is this, and it flows from that, is that we need to, Jesus gives us a new response. 
the conversation goes on, it'll be behind me, we'll read it there on the text behind me. But Jesus' response to this guy after conversation says to him, he says, what one thing must I do? Jesus then goes after the idol of his heart and says, sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven, then come follow me. Now, just on a plain reading of the text, if we just had one text to read, Luke 18 read it, we might be excused to think that Jesus was, says to follow Jesus means we must sell everything and give them all the money away. But that is actually not what Jesus was doing because Jesus wasn't after his money, Jesus was after his heart. He was actually after his freedom. You see, Mark 10 writes a similar account of this moment and the little phrase that precedes this thing of Jesus saying, sell everything, give it away to the poor, then come follow me. It says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. This is the God who's jealous for our hearts. He looked at him and loved him. Saw his heart and said, actually, I'm after your heart. And actually, I'm after your freedom. And you see, many of us can't actually, but you see, this, the thing that's huge here, is that, and I think something that's often missed in this, is that I've underlined in my Bible, it says, sell everything, give it away, you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. That is what Jesus was after. He was saying, there's something in the way between you following me. And that thing needs to be loosed. Something has bound you. And actually, I want to say this. Many of us can't follow Jesus how we should because we are bound by the pursuits and false promises of earthly treasures. Me included. If I'm honest as a preacher. Can I be honest as a preacher? Am I allowed to? Sorry, you're looking at me a bit shocked. Let me tell you, this pursuit controls, distorts, and manipulates our emotions, cravings, and motives. And you see, this is the one thing, though, as I've read this text, I've preached this text a number of times. But as I read it afresh this week in light of the series, I realize that I have the propensity to theologize my way into lukewarm living and apathetic, half-hearted obedience. You see, because often what do we do? We go, we look at this and we go, of course Jesus isn't presenting a socialist vision of achieving eternal life because he never made this, 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 this request on anyone else. He never says this to anyone else. Even to Zacchaeus, he says, give half of it away. You know, he's, this is not, like a, he's not a law he's putting in place, but I want to tell you this incredible understanding in this moment is that so often is that we start to say, and I even do it, and I heard it here, that we go, well, he wasn't after his money, he was after his heart, and we go, thank God, amen, thank God. But let me tell you, he, was, he wasn't, this passage is not about money, it's about his heart. But let me tell you, it is also about money. It's littered with it. Money, rewards, that talk is huge. Treasure in heaven, this is not something that's devoid of that. We can't now theologize our way and go, oh, you know, at least if I don't, oh, thank goodness, it doesn't touch my wallet, it doesn't touch my response system. You see, every time Jesus spoke about eternity, heaven and hell, the conversation about money and treasures on earth was not far behind it. Because Jesus knew that actually this thing here on earth, the thing that we're holding onto here, will anchor us to this world and make us make decisions based on this world instead of on that world and the eternity to come. Because wealth, health, and power is at the driving mechanism of every human heart. You see, there's a text that scares me. Revelations chapter 3, we've, you probably have known it as a letter to a church, a, a writing to a church called the Laodicean Church. And uh, there's this famous response that says, this one thing I have against you says, you are neither hot nor cold, you are lukewarm, so I'll spit you out your, my mouth. This is God speaking. This is not Jesus, this is not popular at Christmas time. Don't, don't preach this text. But this is Jesus, eyes blazing with jealousy for humanity. He says, you're neither hot now, no, you're cold, so I'm going to spit you out. It's like a lukewarm coffee. If you ever had one, iced coffee is great, burning hot, good. Lukewarm, it's like, oh, no thanks. He says, our lives are, your lives are like that towards me. Now, we'll preach that. And we'll go, yeah, 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 that's good. I need to be hot for Jesus. What is the context? The very next line says this. Why are you hot? 
why are you lukewarm? He says, this is why you're lukewarm. Because you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor and blind and naked. That thing about lukewarm is about people who got so entrenched with their wealth. With their pursuit of it. Maybe say, I don't have wealth. Well, sometimes it's actually the absence of wealth that actually corrupts our hearts even more. Because we'll start doing stupid things to get it. we start allowing our emotions to go places because of the lack of it. Let me tell you this thing there that's so huge about that text is actually those five words, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Those five words, if you go and look at the root illustration of them, is actually they can be, the word and is put in between them because actually they can be distilled to three, three uh, statements. And those three statements in Greek are the exact antithesis of rich young ruler. They're the exact opposite of a man who is wealthy, healthy, and powerful. In, in Revelation 3, it says, actually, this is actually the reality of that thing. You think you're rich. You think you're young. You think you're powerful. When actually the real reality in Jesus' eyes is that you're actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And on the basis of this response that God in his heart, the Bible says this rich man went away sad. Another translation said he went away grieved. Why? Because he was very rich. He could not let go could not open his hand to this thing and what, what's scary for me is this was a religious man a man who's obviously attained some moralistic standing in the community somebody who's high regarding community he probably went away sad and the next week was sitting in the pews in the nearest synagogue probably giving his coins in probably singing the songs going through the motions and no one else would have been one of the wiser can I tell you my fear is that most of us sit in week in week out we hear the preaching of the word we start singing the songs, but we leave unchanged because we can't, we can't make this call that Jesus is calling us to do. And we wonder why our lives are not moving forward in the joy, the purpose that Jesus has got for us. Third and finally, revelation, response. Get you some good news, please, Gabe. I'm getting there. Third is this. Jesus talks about rewards. I love this passage actually because you can't get away from rewards in this thing. You see this, this discussion comes, they see this guy, he goes away sad, and the disciples are confused. And it says, they say, if he can't get in, what are our chances? That guy is top of the pops. That guy is the good guy. This guy is, he's probably a generous man. He's probably, in the eyes of people, he's probably quite a lavish man, a good guy. And they're like, if he's not in, what about us? We are wicked. Judas just stole my lunch money again. Like, what about us? And Jesus says, what is impossible for man is possible with God. And at the height of that discussion, there's a, uh, this guy called Peter, who, again, if we're playing on, uh, on antithesis, on, on opposition here, rich young ruler, looking good, suave, had a nice haircut, looking very cool in his new suit, looking very sharp. Then you've got Peter, who probably hasn't shaved for days, probably a bit of body odor, standing in the corner. And, and, he's, and, I, and he says this statement, and this is my own imagination, I can imagine. He just whispers under his breath, we've left our homes for you. And he's, he's probably saying it, hoping Jesus won't hear him because he knows that he often gets rebuked by Jesus. So he's probably saying, we've left our homes. I'm going to be called, get behind me Satan or something now. Like, I was scared, yeah? <laughs> but Jesus doesn't respond like that. Jesus responds amazingly. You can read in the text behind me. It's in yellow here. He says this. Jesus says, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children, other translations in Mark and Matthew that tell the own story, add in their land and possessions, says this, will, for the sake of the kingdom of God, will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. 
Words of Jesus. Not a prosperity preacher, not somebody with a big Mercedes Benz. Jesus says this to his disciples. We've got to take this at, at, at face value here. And what I'm trying to do here, very quickly, two things that he says here, two rewards for us. Number one under this is that he says you'll be rewarded many times over in this life. Many times over in this life. Can I tell you the joy, the peace, the power, the anointing, and the favor that are on offer for you and I in this life is available to a people who would respond to Jesus. Jesus says, God says, I, he says, he tells you, he says, I've never seen God's children begging for bread. He tells you, he says, I am the, I'm Jehovah Jireh, provide. he'll provide you. He says, you've seen the birds of the air, the flowers of the earth. I clothe them. I surely I'll clothe and look after you. He's promised us his provision. He's promised us his faithfulness. He's promised us all these things in this life. But let's keep going. Second, he says, and in the eternal life in the world to come. And a phrase I've said again and again because it haunts me. It's an old theologian's poem that they wrote. It's a little one-line little ditty that just has got deep into my soul. It haunts me. It brings me joy. It discourages me. It rebukes me. But it's a little phrase that says this. We spend all our days seeking money, seeking fame, but none of heaven knows our name. This story... There's a man named a rich young ruler who was the height of opulence in the day, the height of success in the day. People wanted, they were naming their children after him. Can I tell you, in that story, rich young ruler, we do not know his name, but there's a disheveled disciple named Peter who we've never forgotten his name. Let me tell you this. There's a man, I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again. Jim Elliott, one of my all-time heroes. In 1953, this man was the epitome of the rich young ruler in America. He was a man who came from means, he came from wealth, he came from a great stead, had a great education, was a man with prospects, was a man that uh, every, every mother wanted their daughter to marry. He was a guy of uh, incredible skill. People even had touted him for political future, but he, he eschewed that and went and said, I'm going to after the, the ministry because God's called him and said, oh, well, we can see how that will work out. But something, a revelation of God, not just being a good teacher, not just an add-on to his already successful life, but saying actually demands my life, my soul, my all. He said something has to change, and his heart was gripped and demanded response. And he said there's a people group in Ecuador, the Alka tribe, who have never heard the gospel. They actually not just haven't heard it, but they're, they're aggressive against any outsiders coming to the village. If no one goes, they'll never hear the gospel. And for Jim Elliott, not temporal earthly things, but eternity mattered for him. So Jim Elliott got married. They had a kid, and he went on a, on a plane, left, leaving his wife and kid behind. He went on a plane with five friends all the way to Ecuador, where for over months and months, they flew over this tribe in a helicopter and dropped off gifts to his people because they actually tried to build rapport with them. And they were, people were nervous and touched the gifts for the weeks. But then a, a relationship started, a, a long-distance relationship. That's my thinking of it. But they didn't talk, but this long-distance relationship started to be birthed, and, and their courage came in their hearts. Actually, now we can approach them. We're going to land. We're going to go talk to them. And the final moment came when actually they landed on the plane, and, uh, and they got there, and the moment came. I can imagine the prayer that was behind this moment. We're so excited for what God's going to do. And Jim Elliot steps off the plane, and as he's about to open his mouth, an arrow is let loose and goes straight through his head, killing him instantly. The other four also died. Their bodies were found weeks later going down the river. Not one of them even got a chance to preach the gospel to this tribe. Can I tell you, the headlines in America were this. What a waste. Church needs to be held to account 
sending our best and our brightest into foreign mission fields that not, nothing's happening. What are we doing? What, what madness is this? What a waste of life. How dare he give up all the prospects, the wealth, everything, his wife and child. How dare he give up that for, the, for that? The, the equation doesn't match up. And this was the, the feeling of, of, of America until they found his diaries with a phrase that had been written in again and again and again. And the phrase goes something like this. Jim Elliot wrote this before he left. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let me say it again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. On the back of that and the, the publicizing of that statement, missionary after missionary after missionary started to sign up to go to Ecuador. And one by one they started to get to saved. And the two men who were held to account for killing Jim Elliot were baptized by his wife and his daughter. This is the gospel. Eternity matters. This is not something out of some far-flung village. This is, reaches us right here now because I want to tell you there is a reward that cannot be stolen, that cannot be rusted, that cannot be eaten, that cannot be devalued. Can I tell you, Jesus tells us that actually he is our high priest and on his garment he has his na- our names emblazoned upon his heart. Isaiah 49 tells us that our names are written and etched into his hands. This is a God who's just for us. He tells us he's gone before us to prepare rooms for us. He's a God who says, I won't just, you won't just come to heaven and just be there. You'll rule and reign with me. And actually he's prepared for you and I this incredible statement, a statement that will, will blow any other acclaim of man to shreds when we see him face to face and everything inside us will just bow down. He'll lift us up and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what is awaiting you and I. And I want to tell you at this moment, I need to just deal with the elephants in the room. Disciples are told in this life, you'll get rewards and in eternity. The disciples all were persecuted and died martyr deaths. <laughs> just want to put it out there. And I can tell you, not on record, not one of them, when going to the stake or being burnt alive or being killed or being imprisoned or being poured with boiling hot water or left to die on an island, not one of them said, it wasn't worth it. Not one of them said, he promised us a reward. Not one of them were cashing in their discovery awards. Sorry, I apologize. Not one of them were wanting rewards in that moment because they had seen their reward. Here's the thing, in this life, I want to tell you the greatest reward is Jesus Christ himself. In eternity, the greatest reward is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus, the, the, the joy, the hope of the nations. Jesus with eyes burning like fire. Jesus, the glorious one, is our joy. He's enough right now. If your wealth, your health, your power is stripped away from you, he is enough. And if that is not the case and your heart is not burning inside of you right now for that, sir, ma'am, you may just be the rich young ruler. And you may walk away sad here today. Because you're very rich and you can't let go. Take hold of true riches. But that burden is not on me. That burden is on Jesus and you. You need revelation of him, sir, ma'am. And only Jesus, the Holy Spirit can bring that. But only you can respond to that revelation. So I want to tell you this. And as we land, let's talk about this man, Jesus. We have to talk about him and make sure we understand this. Is that Jesus, was he rich? Yeah, he was. Because scripture tells us, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 9 says, Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Was he young? Young in the sense of, yes he was young, but not in the sense of his life laying before him, because actually we told that he died at the age of 33, and Isaiah 53 verse 8 tells us, No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short midstream. Was he a ruler? Yeah, he was. All powerful. 
But Philippians 2 tells us, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, humbling himself in obedience to God, dying a criminal's death on a cross. You see, Jesus, who was a, at every level, was a man of wealth, of health, of power, of fortitude, of strength, of future. And yet, we have a Savior who said, I'm laying it all down. Can I tell you, the gospel... When you come to Jesus, you'll find two things. Number one is that the gospel demands more than you could ever imagine. But secondly, you'll find that it supplies everything you've ever needed. But until you're able to open your hand, you'll not be able to walk into the fullness that he has for you and I. Can we stand to our feet, please? I don't know about you, but for me, maybe I'm just more at the cold face of this, but this series is doing something to my heart. Giving away a car to our friend last week was the most, one of the most thrilling moments of my, my, my year. It was thrilling. The birth of my son was probably up there as well. But, um, but it was thrilling because I started to see, I've seen a community starting to see that actually these things here on earth are not the driving force of our lives. I want to tell you, we have a father who's a provider. If you're under financial pressure, if you are needing healing, if you are feeling that your reputation, your life is in tatters, your, your, your relationships are ruined and you don't know how you're going to rebuild this life of yours, I want to tell you, in the gospel, Jesus says, I am your source of life. He says, I will provide, I will heal, I will restore. That is the promise of the gospel. But actually, the promise of the gospel is much higher than that. He says, I will be everything even if, I, even if you don't find your healing. I will be everything even if your bank account says zero. I will be your healing even if everyone else leaves you. I am enough. And we are a people who do not go to a lukewarm response. We are people who say, Jesus, I want the fullness of your gospel. So if you, like me, are saying... Jesus, I want to lay bare my heart. Right now, and I say this, please don't just do this. This is with, with fear and trembling in our hearts because Jesus is calling us to a different response. If you're saying, Jesus, I need new eyes to see you, new courage to respond to you, knowing that you are a God that will reward and take care and hold me in this call. If that's you, can you lift your hands with me so I can pray for you? Jesus, I pray right now for sons and daughters of the living God. I pray, Father God, where the pursuit or lack of wealth, where the pursuit, lack of quality of life and health, or the pursuit and lack of significance and power and relational harmony have got in the way of this call, Father God, when other things have become the main thing. I thank you right now today, we'll hear Jesus speaking to us, Jesus with eyes blazing with fire, jealous for our hearts, who will not share us with any others, who will not just say, you can have as many idols as you want, and I'll just fit in where I can. No, no, you say, I want the central place, I want the only place, I want to be your all in all. Right now, I thank you, Father, that this gospel reaches our hearts, reaches our marriages, reaches our finances, reaches our, 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 our businesses, reaches our relationships, reaches our deficits, reaches our brokenness, reaches our pain, and says, actually, will you trust me? I thank you, Father God, with that invitation, we as your people respond. I'm going to just be quiet for 20 seconds. Speak to the Holy Spirit. Tell him what, tell him, respond. The Holy Spirit will be 
impressing on your heart if there's things that need to be given up, confessed, surrendered, laid down. Not because there's a, a demand, but because he is supplied. Oh, Jesus, with this atmosphere right now, if you're here today and you've been maybe playing the religious game or you've been coming to church for some time or maybe you've wandered and walked far away from Jesus and today you're saying, actually, I, I've, I'm in a space where I felt sad. I felt grieved because I, I, I want in on this life, but I don't know how to get it. So if you've been playing that game, but today you're saying, actually, Jesus, I'm all yours. And you're saying, actually, today I'm not doing this private. I want to confess you before man so that you can confess me before your Father. If you're here today and say, actually, I want to put my trust in Jesus, not in religion, but in Jesus. If that's you, I'd love to ask you, could you put your hand up high? Is there somebody here I can pray for? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Cool. Cool. Father, I thank you for these people right now. I thank you, Jesus, for your, the revelation that you're giving, Holy Spirit, not of their sin, but of your righteousness, that you are enough right now. They repent of their sin, and take hold of your righteousness. I thank you, Father God. You are more than enough for these people. Right now, your blood speaks a better word than their past, their failures, their brokenness, their sin. You say, I am good enough. And I thank you, Father God, right now, as that revelation comes, not by our response, but by your Holy Spirit. I thank you it will activate a response of letting go of everything to come follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Can we celebrate what God is doing here?